I think this could be a competition between the people across the way and us, so I'm, I'm going to hold it in my hand. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for coming. Um, I really hope this is of benefit to you and your, your congregations. Um, and I, I'm really thankful for, for my panel as well. So my name is Diane Holt. Uh, and for the last 20 years, God has brought me on a journey of discovery and learning that I never expected. I'm here representing a new organisation called Thrive Ireland, but Thrive Ireland is birthed out of Tear Fund. <coughs> I'm here to share um, my learning of those years with you and to bring some insight and practical examples from our panel of some of the amazing transformation that they've seen as they've stepped out in faith to build authentic relationships in their areas. I'm uh, passing around a, a little uh, name and contact sheet and I'd really be grateful if you'd fill in your details and uh, we'll be able to then to, to send you more information about uh, community transformation and the sorts of things like the Belfast Bible College uh, uh, teaching course. <coughs> So anyway, thank you to the Reverend Philip Thompson, Community Pastor Neil Harrison from Waringstown Presbyterian Church, John Beatty from Crossroads, and Helen Sloan, who coordinates Bethe, which is the Bangor Church's uh, community, Interchurch's community initiative, and she also manages the storehouse in Bangor. Um, and they've come today just to share some of their experiences. So if you feel like a novice, well... I was a novice when I started. In fact, I trained as a singer and an actor. Uh, and if any of you are thinking, is that Diane Petrick? Yes, it is Diane Petrick. And uh, yeah, the last time I was here, I think I was singing. Um, but God brought me on a journey that I never expected because I stepped out in faith and started to engage with the local community. I want to try and talk a little bit about some of the learning, and we've got very short time here, so I'm, I'm going to have to sort of cut things down a bit. The first piece of learning is that until relationship is built, perception is reality. Until relationship is built, perception is reality. Because perceptions exist, of course they do. There's both perceptions from the church about the community and perceptions um, about the community from members of the church. So for example in Newtonards, um, there were many churches in the town and then I, I myself go to Scrabble Presbyterian Church in the middle of the West Windsor estate in Newtonards and there are maybe many perceptions that exist about estates like um, the West Wings uh, and other estates surrounding Newtonards. But also when I work within those communities, they have many perceptions about the church and about um, the more middle class people in the town and what they think. And so until relationship is built, those perceptions will continue to exist. Research in art showed that the community did not feel that the churches cared about them and cited examples of writing letters to clergy to invite them to community events and not even receiving a reply and no one attending. The reality in this case was that the clergy were often the ones that all the mail went to and one minister confessed that he had sometimes got an invitation a couple of days after the event was over. But to the community, that was the church not caring. In Island McGee, a Presbyterian church doing a community audit for the first time, who felt that they had a really good relationship with their local island community, were shocked to find that the feedback showed that a substantial number of people felt that the church was only interested in getting their money. But as we know from experience, 
Perception changes with relationship. Perception changes with actual understanding and knowledge. So for example, a group of women uh, from local churches in Newton Ards began to meet to pray together for the needs of the local community. And when I worked at the Lincoln Newton Ards, I worked there for 15 years, I was able to bring people from the community directly into that prayer ministry to be prayed for. And as those women learned about the actual experiences of people out in the community and what the people were doing, so they felt that they were able to begin to understand. Their judgmentalism was reduced. They had their eyes open to some of the things that people in the community were doing that they didn't even know. And they had their eyes open to issues in the community that they didn't know about. And they had their eyes open to, to actual people and hurting people and need. The second thing I'm going to talk a little bit about in terms of learning is what exactly are we talking about when we say community? Because people often ask me that. Because it sounds a bit like us and them. But don't forget, church members, you and I, are at the same time members both of our church and our local community, both locally, geographically, and part of our town or village, and the wider community of Northern Ireland. But somehow it seems that we as church members forget that once we are through the church door that we're also members of our local community. We pray about mission overseas more often than we pray about issues in our local community. And by local I mean within a five mile radius of our church. So developing understanding of our identity as a people of God who have been placed in a specific location to seek its welfare and transformation has a huge impact on how we look at mission. Mission becomes an integral part of all aspects of what we do as people of God. And maybe another day we can explore something of how we might actually get to that point. <coughs> Jesus helps us to see integral or whole life mission in action. Because Jesus didn't just preach. He listened. He gave people their place. He healed the sick, both physically and mentally. And he wept over Jerusalem. Jesus cared about the whole community. Broken relationships, hurting and broken families, those suffering domestic violence, those crippled with debt and worry over that debt, those who feel unloved and unwanted because they just don't fit into what society says is normal. The third thing I learned was there's a difference between authentic relationship and, I'm going to call it, scalp hunter mentality or commando raids out into the community. I think you probably know what I'm talking about. It took a long time in arts to break down the perception among most of the non-church going community that if they came into the link, they would not be preached at. Tony Campolo tells a story about a prostitute who made this statement about why she didn't come to church. I already felt bad enough about myself I didn't need to be made to feel worse. Authentic relationship takes time and more time and more time and sacrifice on the behalf of people of God. It's about listening as well as talking. And there is so much mutual learning for both church and community members. If our approach is merely to tell others what they're doing wrong, 
without recognising the huge log in our own eye, then relationship is very hard to build. The fourth thing I learned was that how we offered our help and support to the community was really important. We needed to listen with a humble heart. And I learned something about the model of community development. Community development is a model that organisations like Tear Fund and Christian Aid use in support of disadvantaged communities, mostly overseas, but also it's widely used in the UK and indeed in Northern Ireland. Community development is getting alongside people and doing things with them rather than for them. This idea of a hand up, not a handout. It starts from an understanding that God created us all as valuable individuals with gifts and abilities. Our role is to enable broken and hurting people to understand what gifts and abilities they have when they often believe that they're worthless and have none. And by showing people that they are valuable to us, that then shows them that they are valuable to God. So for example, when I try to help my son do his homework and end up doing it for him, and he goes back to school the next day and he still can't do his maths, how does that make him feel? It makes him feel just as bad as he felt before. He feels stupid because he can't do his maths. If I spend that little bit of extra time, and sometimes a lot more extra time, in helping him to understand how to do his maths for himself, when he goes back, he doesn't need me anymore. He's able to do his maths for himself, and he feels so much better about himself. For God so loved the world the world, not just people in the church. Local non-church community members have many important skills and gifts, not least of which is community knowledge and community relationship. Of course church members have great skills and gifts too, often complementary ones. My experience is that they often lack the knowledge of the issues that need to be addressed within the local community. Churches are also full of Doctors, nurses, teachers, civil servants in various government departments, policemen, all of whom who have a really good knowledge of the issues in civic society. Can I ask you how often are they prayed for and sent out into their weekly jobs with the blessing and prayers and support of the congregation? Could their knowledge be tapped into in addressing some of the local issues? Have we asked local community members for their opinions and suggestions of how the church could pray for them and support them? Because my experience is that with knowledge and understanding comes action. Because again, let me go back to that prayer group in Newtonards of women who started to pray for the needs of the local community. They started to find out, for example, that Homestart a charity that um, helps families that have multiple children under five and are struggling, that they needed many more volunteers. So some of those women started to volunteer. They learned from Women's Aid that um, actually when women are, are coming out of domestic violence relationships and go to the refuge, they need support packs. And actually the churches were then able to work together to put together the support packs for the Women's Aid and they continue to do that um, in a number of, of the congregations. So with knowledge comes understanding, and with understanding become, there comes action. Fifth thing I talk about as learning was we need to develop an understanding 
of local poverty and address our attitudes to it. And I say that because I began to realize as I started to work in community that I was very judgmental and categorized people into the deserving and the undeserving poor. I want to give you some poverty facts. The average age of a man who lives in an area identified as one of poverty in Northern Ireland is 17 years less than that of someone who lives in a middle class area. I actually think it's higher than that because I was talking to a doctor recently and he said I think that's a conservative estimate. 25% of children in Northern Ireland live in poverty, 45,000 live in severe poverty and almost one in five live in persistent poverty. 53% of older people in Northern Ireland say that television is their main source of company and one in four people aged 65 and over spent more than 15 hours alone each day. As a Christian, I believe deeply that we are called to be salt and light wherever we are, right here on our doorstep, to shine the light of Christ into the darkness that encompasses much of our society. I know that many of you are here today because you feel exactly the same way. However, I've worked with many churches right across the province and have been involved in research that shows that churches are often struggling to understand how to better reach out within their communities. There's division within congregations and competing agendas that mean that often churches spend more time maintaining their own structures and firefighting than building the kingdom of God. Thrive Ireland has been set up to enable the local church to realise its local mission and vision, to su support the development of authentic relationships with the local unchurched community, to meet identified need and enable people to thrive and flourish and become the people that God created them to be. It enables your church to take time to listen to God, to listen to each other, and the community to better understand the need and develop a missional response. It's crossing the road to meet your neighbour. Stop, look, listen, walk. Waringstown Presbyterian Church recently were supported through the church mobilisation process. Um, this is a church mobilisation process that was developed in Africa by organisations like Tearfront and has now been adapted and changed to be able to work here in Northern Ireland. So I want to hand over to Philip and Neil to let them tell you something of their congregation's journey. And I've got more information about the process that you can take away with you at the end if you're interested in knowing more about how Thrive Ireland can support you. Okay, thanks, Tom. Hi everyone, uh, Neil and I are going to tag team this for just a few moments this afternoon to give you a better idea of the process and of how this process works in a local congregation like ours. So we're from Waringstown and our church family comprises of about 350 families. Uh, about four years ago we realised that our vision statement that we had for the life of our church was no longer fit for purpose. We needed to sit back down again to take time to think and pray and seek God and find out what is it that God wants us to do next. And as a result of that process, we came up with a new vision statement 
that centered around the word glow because we wanted to shine for Jesus. And glow uh, is, is grow, love, offer hope and worship. And it's the offer hope bit that I want to speak about for just a few moments before Neil unpacks how this whole process kicked in in Waringstown. Under that clause, offer hope, we say, with the Holy Spirit's help, we want to offer hope to our community and world through the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ. And there was a very intentional phrase within that, and that is our community as opposed to the community, what Diane was alluding to at the beginning. Because we felt it was really important that right the way across the church family, people realised that we were part of the community that we're actually ministering in. But that all sounds really good, and it sounds really positive, but how do you begin to make an impact and do something about that? If you have a commitment to the community that you're part of, how does that look in practice? Well, for us, as we started to think about how we could have a greater impact within our community, that began with Neil here behind me, who was our youth pastor at the time. And we really did step out in faith in changing uh, Neil's role with us in Waringstown from youth pastor to community pastor. Uh, And Neil will say a little bit more about that in a second. Not stepping out in faith because it was Neil, but stepping out in faith because the job description really still had to be written after the appointment. But we felt the only way we could drive things forward was with someone who was designated with giving us a lead and helping us in this whole process. And that was the time when Diane and Thrive came on the scene And the process began. And Neil's going to take you through the journey that we embarked upon. And where that has brought us to today. And then I'll very quickly finish off by talking about some of the other benefits and the blessings that we have known through that. Thanks, Philip. Um, For those of you that don't know, uh, Warringstown's a small village. Well, maybe medium-sized, five and a half thousand people just outside Lurgan, and fairly middle class in in terms of its uh, demographic. Um, So as Philip Philip says, in in terms of trying to live out our vision statement of wanting to offer hope, um, we were brought into conversation with Diane, and uh, she, I suppose, mentored or coached us through uh, the process at that stage, which was called uh, Discovery, and now uh, called Emoja. And uh, really that process was a comprehensive community audit uh, that allowed the whole congregation uh, to input their thoughts on the local needs as well as taking on board the results of a local community survey uh, and interviews then with key stakeholders such as uh, principal of the primary school, local police officers, uh, people like that. And this uh, involved having... Uh, this, this, if I keep using the word discovery, that's because that was our word at the time. It, it involved us having this discovery focus uh, in approximately six church services throughout the course of maybe about 18 months. And as well as then a bit of a focus within our small groups. Sometimes this was just about keeping the congregation updated and informed. Where are we on this journey? How is that going? 
Uh, but often it, those, those opportunities within church services were utilised to engage the whole congregation uh, in some sort of interactive process uh, that allowed them to input their ideas and their thoughts into the process. It was all about bringing the congregation, as many people as possible, on board uh, with what we were doing. Now that slowed the whole process down, but it was vitally important actually in, in getting congregational buy-in. So throughout this process then we identified that the main problem within our village was a lack of community, a lack of opportunity for community. Um, and this was caused primarily by poor communication. So people in the village didn't really know what was happening. There were lots of different things going on, but people didn't know. Elderly people, many elderly people who were housebound, and uh, they were struggling with a lack of opportunity for community. There was a lack, general sense of lack of neighbourliness, people feeling isolated. Those were the words, those were the key needs that were coming through uh, from our research. And then the, the last stage of that uh, discovery process for us allowed our congregation to dream up solutions to this problem that we felt we as a church could address, uh, given our skills and the resources that we had at our disposal. And in this, uh, it was an evening service in the hall. There was about 20 different ideas dreamed up around small groups around tables. And these ideas were suggested and presented and uh, stuck up on the walls. And then at the end of that service, those people who were there, there was maybe a hundred there, uh, got the opportunity to kind of vote, I suppose, on what they felt God was, was drawing our church to respond to. And there were three solutions that really gathered the most support. One of those was improving communication with the community. The second one was developing interest groups uh, to create that opportunity for people to meet new people both people within our church meeting people outside of our church over a shared interest. And the third thing that really came through strongly was evangelism through encouraging relationships and planning uh, events. And so in light of all this, our congregation then took the decision to employ myself as a, as a community pastor to help to drive forward some of these initiatives. And I want to just take a couple of minutes because alongside all of this, I was doing some research at the time about how a how to draw people, uh, people who are disengaged from church, not connected to church, how to, to reconnect people and how to encourage people to engage with faith and spirituality who are completely disconnected. And from, from that research that I was involved with, um, three things came through very strongly uh, about how people make that journey towards faith. And the first thing was relationship, uh, really that kind of one-to-one -one relationship with another Christian. Is, is so important in drawing people uh, into beginning to think about God, beginning to be interested a little bit more in church. But one, that kind of one-to-one -one relationship wasn't actually enough. For many people, the next step was really a, a community, finding a community. So maybe that person, that Christian, drawing them into maybe a group of Christians, maybe inviting them around for a meal to their house to see what their family life looks like, uh, maybe drawing them into Monday night football with another group of Christians, but just trying to connect people with a little bit of community, all of a sudden heightened people's interests and opened them up a greater sense of, of awareness of, of who God is and, and beginning to kind of be open to that. And final, the final stage really within people's journey to faith was that encounter, encounter with God, uh, and that, uh, that must happen. Uh, at some point where people are brought into an encounter with God through Bible teaching, uh, through prayer, 
um, through worship opportunities, through hearing people's testimonies, whatever the case may be. Um, we, can, we can preach the gospel all we want without using words, um, but at some point, we need to use words. People need to hear that gospel truth. And so the, the discovery process and everything we do in many ways um, needs to fit somewhere within there. So some of the things that we do really connect in with that relationship and community opportunity. So developing interest groups that, that allow a space for people within our church to meet people who don't go to our church just through a shared interest such as photography or something like that. Um, but Getting back to some of the ways that that works out in practice. Communication was one of the big needs. So we have developed a community newsletter called Connect that goes in through every door within our village uh, three times a year. And it kind of covers a four-month block of what is happening within our community. Um, it's a 16-page magazine, glossy, very nicely presented with maybe five or six articles of interest, but as well as a range of, of adverts of things that are happening. And we get 2,000 of those produced, and they go through every single door in the village. Mission events. We've organised a, a range of outreach events around the Rugby World Cup there last year. Uh, but as well as that, the, the Vintage Cavalcade is a big community event in our village. It's been going for 25 years. And uh, so just in the last couple of years, we've started to have a bit of a presence there in terms of tea and coffee and giving out literature. Neighbourliness. We've encouraging people to actively build uh, community on the street that they live, um, really um, making a, an effort to build connections with their neighbours. All of a sudden it just becomes a whole lot easier to invite somebody along to uh, a carol service or a, an Easter service from there. Uh, interest groups are, are just mentioned as well. We're encouraging participation, uh, encouraging our people to get involved in local interest groups uh, as well as establishing new groups. So one of the groups that we're just birthing at the minute is a, a local dramatic society, um, which will uh, actually be putting on a pantomime in December. But we see it as just a real community opportunity, to an opportunity to draw people in and, and create that sense of community and, and create a space where people can build relationships uh, that hopefully can lead people uh, in the direction of Christ. Community networking is also a big part of my job. So I sit on the local community development association. Uh, I am involved with local schools and uh, you know having those kind of relationships. Um, so those are the sorts of things that I'm involved with and sort of things that Discovery has really led to for us. And just to finish, I wanted to just share a really encouraging message this week that I got from a complete stranger uh, within our village that I think is worth sharing. And she said, Hi Neil, I just wanted to get in touch to say what a gift or what a great job your church does in reaching out into our community. I love the Connect newsletter, and after reading it, I'm getting involved with the Historical Society and the Community Development Association. It's amazing every year when Glow kicks off, and I see the young people all over the village. It makes me very proud. God bless. And just from somebody that I, I don't even really know. And Philip just wants to conclude with a couple of thoughts. What I wanted to say, just to conclude our part, is that I suppose we entered into this process with really limited expectations. And I think that I would want to encourage people here today, uh, church leaders or people who are just going back to your own church and maybe engaging with the leadership there, to really think seriously about entering into a process like this, talking to, to Diane and seeing where this process could take you in your local church. Because for us, our limited expectation was that this process would help us 
with one particular part of one clause of our vision statement. In other words, reaching our community with the good news of Jesus. But the reality is that going through this process and following all of this through has helped us in so many areas. It's enriched us and blessed us and God has moved us on in many different areas of our church life. If I just simply give the examples of worship, the way in which those discovery services, as we described them, were configured, changed the atmosphere of our worship. It even changed the venue of our worship and it enabled us to really take steps forward in how we do things and worship in our place. And it also enhanced, without any doubt, our prayer life as well, because it gave a particular focus on praying for and with our community, and that has been really beneficial to us as well. So that's just our story in Waringstown, and uh, I hope that you're encouraged by that, um, and I would really commend uh, this process to you. Thank you. Um, everything, um, everything needs a starting point or a trigger. And for Bicky Bangor Interchurch Community Initiative, um, it was a report which was commissioned by the Link in Newtonard, North Down YMCA and the Church's Community Work Alliance. Um, when the report came out, it was flawed, not because it contained any untruths, but because churches didn't respond to it. And it said that there was no... Um, community engagement between churches and uh, community and I knew um, being a member of First Bangor Presbyterian Church that that wasn't true because I had been running an English class for you know this past eight years and uh, so I thought this was a matter of injustice so I got on board this group who decided to try and prove that these um, claims uh, that the, the report said were wrong. And um, so for me, it was about going outside the church doors. And I'm passionate about justice and speaking out for those who have no voices. And I'm passionate about working together and not reinventing the wheel. And for me, it wasn't about ecumenical things. It was about kingdom building. Um, as a steering group, one of the first things that we did was we read Tim Keller's book, Generous Justice. And Tim Keller writes, the Bible is a book that is devoted to justice in the world from first to last. And the Bible gives us not just a naked call to care about justice, but gives us everything we need, motivation, guidance, inner joy and power to live a just life. Our challenge in Bicky was how we could turn these tremendous truths into action and make a difference to Bangor and the people that we live among. We set ourselves three goals. The first was to create a church directory. The second was to organise a conference which would inspire, encourage and motivate people to engage in addressing needs outside the church. And the third was to create a website. At the beginning, we naively thought that a website was the be-all and end-all, uh, but we quickly learned that it wasn't, and it's taken a long time to get going, and we've just made a decision to completely rehash it. Um, our website is called Church Works North Down, 
and the aim of the website is to create connections and enable communication between churches. I created the church directory. In Bangor alone, there are 51 churches. 39 agreed to have their details printed in the directory. Hard copies were printed and distributed to the churches, schools, hotels, council offices, MLAs, basically anywhere we thought it would be a useful tool. And it's now um, available on the website. To complete this task certainly for me was an eye-opener because it proved difficult to get churches to respond. Um, We have held four inspirational conferences each year entitled Together We Can Make a Difference. In the early days of Bicky, it was all about communication and asking uh, churches to send along representatives to six weekly meetings. These were well attended and through these meetings um, connections were made and out of one of those meetings came Storehouse North Down uh, which is a food ministry and 48 churches now work together in North Down um, and to date they have distributed 6,500 hampers in North Down which is the Gold Coast so we're led to believe and that equates to over £300,000 in monetary terms and this wouldn't have been possible without the generosity of many congregations I really do believe that God blesses unity and this is a prime example each hamper that goes out of Storehouse North Down has a small sticker on it, a small label, and it says, this is a small gift because God really loves you. And um, it is bringing hope into very dark situations. Vicky was flying blind, and they, they were dependent on the Holy Spirit. Um, initiatives came along, and um, Vicky didn't want to be controllers, but encouragers of people to go ahead with what God had placed on their hearts. And our vision was that Christians of Bangor and the surrounding area will cooperate in responding to needs uh, experienced in the local uh, community, particularly those of the most disadvantaged and marginalised. Some initiatives have worked, some haven't. There's been a community support panel that was bringing together a panel of experts, solicitors, accountants from different churches and going into estates to help them uh, in in estates. Um, We've had um, Christmas dinner on Christmas Day. We have a disability inclusion group uh, where uh, people have been trained how to welcome people with additional needs into congregations, especially those with autism. Uh, They've organised seminars for the autumn on mental health. Um, Has has our journey been easy? No, it hasn't. We have grown weary from time to time and wanted to give up. And sometimes we say, if we give up, will we be missed? I don't know. But God keeps us going. And every time we think that, something really positive uh, comes our way. (laughs) Bangor is a complicated place. There are church clusters and clergy are busy. They are overstretched. Our aim continues and we continue to encourage effective community engagement, 
Uh, we facilitate cooperation and engagement and we uh, encourage to provide a base for inter-church activities. Big conversations are needed with, uh, amongst others, the clergy fraternal, the council, agencies of all different types, both voluntary and statutory. And prayer is vital to show us the way to build genuine relationships. Many things as an, invigi- in, as an individual are impossible, but together all things are possible through God. Thank you. Thank you. My name is John Beattie. I am the community pastor of, um, or I am the pastor of Crossroads Church in Craig um, I've been there since January. It is a broken church, um, but over this next year we hope that it'll be fixed and our view is it'll be a missional church. In my history, I have done lots of community development work and also church planting. So Diane has asked me five minutes, talk about community development, tell them how it works, and that's what I've got. So here goes. And she's asked me to relay one of those stories of one of those places that I was. We come to do community development. Why do we do it? Because we as a church are meant to be a light on a hill. We're meant to show that light inside our communities. We're meant to be Jesus followers. Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek the lost. Is your church doing it? Jesus in his mission statement says, he was here for the poor, the oppressed and needy, to heal the sick and to preach good news to the poor. Is our church doing it? Our question is, is our emphasis on church on Sundays where we spend between one and three hours, or is our emphasis on the rest of the week? That is a change. That is a change in church, a change in the way that you look at the gospel. How does it work? I want to tell you a story about a place that I was in, in Knocknagunny. Some of us know it. Um, I was there for three years as a community development worker for the church. When I first went to the area, the area had high levels of antisocial behaviour. In East Belfast, it was in the top 10%. The government referred to it as an area of deprivation surrounded by an area of plenty. It had issues with um, schoolwork. Um, it had issues with crime. There was a sense of a lack of hope. How do we change this? Within inside a year and a half, the church had tackled all areas inside the community and it helped the community to tackle everything. Say, so how does this work? The first thing you have to have is faith. Do you believe in a God that created a whole universe? Do you? Do you believe that God created you? Yeah. Do you believe that God can do anything that his arm is never too short? Yes. So therefore, if we really, really believe this, we must step out in faith and we must believe that God can transform any community that he so wishes. That's the first thing you've got to have. You've got to have faith. Real faith. And it means in churches that you don't have all the things in place, but that God is going to supply them. You mightn't have all the staff, you mightn't have all the resources, and most churches will only do community development if all those things are in place. Do they have faith? The answer is no. Because you've got to step out. God wants you to step out. 
The next thing you do is what Waring's time was talking about is you do a profile of your area. What does it look like? What are the issues? Who's already working in it? How can we work with those people who are already working there? You're not going to, you're going to work with other people. Therefore, you don't need to do everything. And you do the profile. The next thing you do while you're doing this is you have to have, you develop a prayer team. It won't work without one. And you have to have the most amazing prayer team that you have because it has to not only pray, it has to look for God's answers and they come through study. And God will speak to you through the verses of the Bible. My own church at the minute, we've been doing this. It's amazing to see in a prayer night how they come together with different verses from each part of the Bible, but they all have the one theme, the one message. The next thing you get is a vision from God because it's not you that's going to do it. God's already out there. You're joining in to where he wants you to be. And you find a vision from God. It may be a passage, it may be a book, it may be something. And at each place I've been, it's been something different. And you get this vision from God and you stick to it and you work to it. In Nognagani, it was Nehemiah. Nehemiah began with a vision from God. He put it on his heart about what he wanted and he prayed around it. And he continued to pray. The next thing is one or two of you step out into the community. And you begin to make connections and the prayer team's praying for you and doors start to begin to open. And with faith you walk through them. And you start to do what you can, where you can. And you begin to work. And then you come back and you pray. And then you go out again. And you start to work a wee bit more. And then two or three more join you. And before long, your church starts to pile in. In the community. Trying to help them. With inside a year and a half, the police... Hold on, just going to have a drink. Inside a year and a half, the police put in a report that Nogdogani Church was now the centre of the community. Drug use had fallen. Sorry. Drug use had fallen. A church where there was where I was the youngest person in it when I joined had 120 kids coming on a Friday night. The pews were starting to fill with young people who were starting to come to faith. The school, which was earmarked for closure was now growing and its recent report said that it was actually now one of the best schools that they had. The community was all working together to do various things. We then put in football pitches, community gardens and we addressed things like flooding. All happened in a year and a half. I hate going to churches saying that's never going to happen. Where's your faith? The final thing you must do in every situation is you must create disciples. You must create disciples. You must create other people inside your church who can go along and do this after you go. You must create more of you. That was one of the things I failed in and where I was. But every place you should have disciples. Create more stick to the vision and believe me God will do amazing things if you want to see how that happened um, I was working through Tear Fund at the time and there is a video 
that Diana often uses, and it's on a thing called Vimeo, and you just type in that and the word not Nagari, and it'll all come up. We address everything from flooding the antisocial behaviour with all parts of the community working in it and all agencies working in it. And at the end of it, we could say it was community transformation because it was measurable. The issues that was there for years and years and years that was recorded by government agencies and others was changed at the end of it. Those stats were changed. I hear of churches saying, we do transformation. Can you prove it? Can you get the stats and actually prove it? I have a God that can do exactly what it says in the 10 when we talk about community transformation. If anybody wants help, please just ask us. Thank you. So I want to say thank you very much to everybody here, but I, but I realise that people will want to ask questions, so I wanted to leave about 10 minutes at the end. If you do have a question, can you shout it out really loud, and then I'll repeat it so that everybody can hear it, and uh, hopefully you can direct it at anybody specifically on the panel, or myself, um, or anybody can take that off my people. Don't be shy, yes? So where, where is your where is your so one of your church is not naturally the, at the centre of a community? So it's sort of on the on the edge of a community? Well I think actually that was your experience, John, wasn't it? So there's still a, usually a lot going on in any community. Where, whereabouts are you? Newton Abbey. Well there's there's so many different churches and organisations that are probably within that area, um, but it doesn't really matter because there's been a lot of work done in rural areas as well. I mean, obviously most people here, obviously Waringstown's rural, but it, but it sort of feels like it's, it's urbanish. Do you want to say that? It's an interesting question because... Um, I'll stand up. Um, it's an interesting question because in our particular church context... A big, big challenge for us is that we are what could be described as a, a gathered church. And that's actually been one of our challenges, that our growth has been a gathered growth as opposed to a missional growth. So we have grown as a congregation because lots of Christians have come from other churches to our church. Um, so one of our issues is that many of our people don't actually live within our community and we are encouraging them to engage with the community so another big emphasis for us has been the whole um, imagine church stuff uh, where you're thinking about frontiers about everyday discipleship uh, and about that idea that we come gathered together for worship for a short part of the week but then we're scattered to the places where God takes us through work or study or whatever else and I think that that would be the starting point in a situation like that, to really think about where people are placed by God and how they make an impact in that place. If you're from a rural background, my church is on a hill. Um, the nearest house is about three fields away. Um, if you're in that situation, you still have a community around you. Um, 
the way that we look at where we are is we have a, a church on a hill, but we go down into the valleys and work almost like a hub with a bicycle wheel. It's each area that you work on is a spoke. But inside rural communities, you have huge issues. One of the biggest issues you have is isolation. Um, there are lots of people who are isolated, especially for the older people in the community. One of the other stats, and the really bad stats for um, uh, in rural places, suicide is the most violent inside um, rural communities. Those are things that you can look at. Those are things that you can start with. How do you create community in a place where it's isolation? And a lot of this is also about finding out well, what is what is the need of my area. But the que- one of the questions we'll also get a congregation to consider because. Many of us go to churches where people pass seven or eight or ten or twelve other churches before they get to the church that they go to. And I think people need to think think to themselves and pray, God, why why am I called to this particular church? And and the congregation need to say, Why are we as a people of God? What is our mission here in this place? And why do I personally choose choose to come here? What is what is my my remit for that but the idea of whole life mission is very much a part of this this idea that no matter where you are throughout the week you're it you are Jesus hands and feet and eyes and ears um, so I'm, I'm sorry I'm, if I'm not answering your question well enough but I do think finding out what the need of the area and who else is working in that area as well is often a key because then you're working alongside and in partnership and establishing relationships you never thought that you would end up establishing. And that's where God then begins to work. Any other questions? Yes? If we find the experience of the number of churches to get together and work on a community profile, maybe somebody could outline what a community profile looks like. Okay. So, so yes, it, it can be done by a group of churches or it can be done by yourself as an individual church and it really depends on whether the churches are willing to work together in a particular area. So it can be done. It, the process that we take people through is we enable you to do it yourself. It has three elements to it. It has a statistical element to it where you look at the NISRA statistics uh, on, the, on the, the, the NISRA site. That's the Northern Ireland statistical data site where all the census data and uh, investing for health data all those things, that's one element the other element is you can decide to do a a questionnaire in your area that has limited response but also look at the people who are um, on the outskirts of your congregation so those people who may be uh, families that come to uh, parent and toddler groups, those families who come to your uh, youth organisations can you actually get engaged with them first of all, teach your your leaders in those organisations to just begin to ask questions. You're asking very simple questions. What do you like about your area? What do you find difficult about your area? And what can the church do better? Um, how can the church better support you in, in those issues? Um, they're very, very simple questions and you'll be amazed at what that brings out. The other, the third element to a community audit is um, you identify the main stakeholders in, in each area. 
those would be people like your local PSNI officer or local um, uh, sergeant in the you know, community police, local head teachers in primary or secondary schools, um, welfare officers, uh, GPs. People might be in your congregation already, but they've never maybe been tapped into for this type of information. Um, so it's a, it's a relatively easy process to go through, but the really important part is the more people that you involve in it, the more people hear directly about what the actual need is. Because actually somebody telling them is very difficult, different to them finding out for themselves. Um, but if you want more information, I'll, I can give you it after. Yeah, I want to add one other thing that, yes, most of it you can do for yourself. Um, Google it. Um, use those statistics. Nisra and Ninnis, go on to those. They'll put in your postcode and give you everything. Find out who are already working in there. What are the other churches doing? Most, most people, when they want to do youth work, most churches, they go... Um, we're going to run a youth club, and when he's going to do it, it's normally Friday or a Saturday. You'll do it. You may find out that there are 20 people doing youth clubs on a Friday or Saturday. We'd be better that you do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because then you'll get everybody. Um, find out who you can work with. But the last thing, walk it. One or two of you walk the area. It's really, really important to walk the area. When you walk the area, you'll see things that you can't find out from anybody else. For example, is there graffiti on the wall? If there's graffiti on the wall, is it spelt right? If it's not, you may laugh, then there's a problem with education. Go around if you find lots of cigarette butts in one area and broken glass. What have you got there? Anti-social behaviour. Those are things that you can do. If you go into another street, I did this with a church. They were putting out flyers for a kids' club. Went into um, one street and the whole of it had handrails up and down all the thing. Who were there? Old people. Are they going to come to a kids club? No. If there's trampolines outside it and bicycles, then you got kids. Don't do something for the elderly. And the other thing I would say is, yes, do check out what other churches and other organisations are doing. A lot of the big problems in areas that we go into are duplication. You know, the same thing happening again and again and again, and actually it's not responding to the need of the area and people wonder why people aren't coming. So join the dots. Some, some congregations have got really good gifts in one area. Um, some congregations have got good gifts in another. We need to think kingdom values. We need to think how can we strategically work together as Christians in a time for God's kingdom to come. The trouble is, it's a wee bit at the moment like you in your small corner and I in mine as the chorus goes. And, and really, you know, many instances this is not helping God's kingdom to come. One more question and I think that's probably our time up. Yes? So what do you do uh, when there are many churches want to work together in an area but one church won't because they feel they're compromising the gospel? You've got to go ahead because you know you keep inviting people and to, to be honest often that, that happens and then once something starts to happen and people see the transformation beginning, actually they, everybody's on a journey and that journey is different for every church. There are some people at very different theological, uh, on, the, on the theological spectrum. Even within congregations, that's true. The beauty of this process, actually, is that we try and enable people to go on a journey of discovery. It's about listening to God, to each other, to our community. Um, 
we can do this process as a group of churches and then I mentor other people, mentor people in individual congregations, so we're thinking much more strategically about an area. But I would say, you know, keep inviting them, keep telling them, keep communicating, but, but you, need to, you need to go ahead. If, if it's their choice. Everybody has a free choice to participate or not to participate. And, you know, I, I think if, if the other churches are feeling it's right to move forward, my, my response would be you should go. Um, but keep the lines of communication open. And if you want to talk to any of us afterwards, I'm sure we'll be here for a wee while. I'll certainly be. Um, thank you so much. I want to, to pray for you all as you go. Um, let's just pray for a second. Lord, I want to thank you for your presence with us. Lord, I want to thank you for the amazing things that you're already doing out in community. Lord, I want to thank you for so many people, uh, of your Christian people with a heart to reach out into their communities. Lord, give them courage, give them wisdom. Um, and give them understanding uh, and Lord help them to take that step of faith, give them that faith where they lack it, to take that step of faith out into community and bless all their efforts. I pray Lord for a real transformation in local communities throughout Northern Ireland and further afield. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.